sleep, motherfucker. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You bruised half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. <laughs> always sounds wacky to say it like that. Things you think you know or don't know about your favorite bands and songs. We're here to fill you in on the details. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Show note here about how we operate. We actually uh, got some feedback recently. Someone was talking to you and saying, oh, so when, do, you know, how does it sort of work? I guess you guys know what you're talking about. And you informed them a little <laughs> about the pixie dust that we put on this show, which is typically you don't know what we're talking about until we start talking about it it's not typically it's generally 99 percent of the time i think there's been a time or two where like you're gonna love this conversation about you know cc deville or whatever the hell we're about to do <laughs> but no well like that's that doesn't really happen and i bring this up because it i think people knowing this it shows the level of knowledge that you have right like so i'm working off of intense notes and you are typically nailing my notes without seeing them or knowing where we're going but but it's 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 me leading the blind you don't have any idea so this is just if you care about how this show is produced that's sort of a fun thing to know that we didn't realize people didn't know but yeah produced like we were joking about it's like what if you had like it's like uh, notes i'm just like we just hanging out this was the idea was never was was always well this is what we would do at a party if we were doing something and we would annoy the hell out of everyone kind of who wasn't into this conversation so why wouldn't we just have this conversation because it's kind of interesting well and let's find our people let's find our people who are not going to be annoyed and that's what we've built up and we really are appreciative of you listening and getting interactive and sending us emails and sending us emails for sure we are the story guys at gmail.com like sean Another listener from North Carolina. We got like shouts to NC, man. We've got some strong North Carolina uh, presence, and we appreciate you guys. Always love the show. Never miss one. Recently, you guys were talking about how that, speaking of the origin of the show, we're talking about how the show, what? there was a polar bear on your screen right now. What is happening I, right now? I just, It was just, I never have put anything on the screen but me, and I thought <laughs> I'd just bring the polar bear. It's like my mascot. Do you, have, do you have a name for the polar bear? Are we making this a threesome tonight? What's happening? It's Sushi. It's sushi the polar, the polar bear. All right, Sushi. Yeah. What's up, buddy? Okay. Right. Uh, always love the show. Never miss what. Recently, you guys were talking about how the show started out being true, uh, like artist versus artist episodes, and this got me thinking. I'd love to hear a deep dive on Liam versus Noel Gallagher. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. It's a fair criticism of the show that this episode has not happened yet. Uh, All not, right. Not, not only it. because it is one of the greatest internal rivalry, rivalries in music history, but but also because I think me, you, and Sushi the Bear love Oasis. Well, and hey, man, I was I was late on this train. Really? I, I will I will openly admit. Yeah, I was I was in a band with a guy. Are you going to tell me like Heathen Chemistry is when you got into Oasis? Because I'm going to really disrespect that. I don't, you know, I don't really know. I think, you know, I, I used to sit around with one of my one of my best friends, and he would play Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova because he figured out like that's how that works, like that works pretty well, like it's a pretty, and and I just was like, because it's so freaking annoying, and I freaking hate Oasis. And then I was in a band with a guy, and we're best buddies, and he loved Oasis, and I was like, Oasis sucked. I just like 
just didn't buy bite onto it. And I didn't bite onto like, we're as big as the Beatles, we're as good at, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. at some point, I don't know what happened. And then there was a turning point and I never went back. And it was just, I loved Oasis. And I don't know if it was a song or it's that I, I picked up a guitar and learned how to play one of their songs. But... I think there's something to that because there is, especially Wonderwall, very easy song to play. And people really like that song. It's an earworm. It's catchy. It's a great thing to play in front of a group of people because even if you want to be jaded and cynical, people typically want to participate when that song happens. I was 12 when What's the Story Morning Glory came out. And I think... I think I heard that first. I think I heard that before, definitely, maybe, which I would go on to love. Uh, but when I heard What's the Story, I, you know what I think I figured? I was thinking a lot about this while working on this episode. I think the reason Oasis blew my mind was because it was the first time that I was able to understand the idea of the Beatles as a rock band. Oh, well, that's that makes so much sense. And man, I mean... Yeah, I guess, like, I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, yeah, exactly. But like, no, I haven't really well, pieced that together. Because once they were kind of doing it, they were like, well, we're out of here, man. Was, yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it, it sounds like a weird thing to say. But especially at that point, when I was 12, the Beatles I was hearing, I was hanging out with my dad, listening to WRKA in Louisville, Kentucky, driving around, listening to, the, you know, paperback writer Beatles, right? Like, I wasn't listening to White Album Beatles. And so it was cute. But the Stones were rock and roll. The Stones were swagger. They were dangerous, right? The Beatles, right. The Beatles were just, you know, kind of kitschy. I mean, and then when you hear the spirit of the Beatles blasted through guitar amps, and you can recognize clearly the influence, but it's loud. And I mean, the Oasis guitar sound alone is worth comment. I, I want to know, does your Spark by Alternative Grid Simulator have an Oasis guitar sound setting? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And, how, how often um, do you play with it? Um, more than once, but it's it's a rock one. And so um, I'm trying to, there's only like a couple of numbers I play with. Like I don't play like, you know, Wonderwall or Champagne Super. Some might say. What's your Oasis song? Some, do you have an Oasis song? Some might song? say, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Gee, I can't believe you just reach all the way across town into my face and my brain and pull out. This is the my beautiful favorite. chemistry. Speaking of heathen chemistry, this is I the chemistry. I can't remember the name of it. That's like how like my brain has just been plowed to death by long COVID it, or just like not sleeping. It, it, so is that your favorite Oasis song or do you have another one you want to drop? That's kind of my favorite one. Okay, okay. I, I'm an acquiesce guy. I love that one for the big pop hook. Yeah. Um, I do I do like uh Champagne Supernova, I think is just a, a really It's it's an all timer. It's just an ama it's an amazing song. It's better than a whole lot of Beatles songs. So Again, this Beatles Oasis <laughs> connection, just real quickly. There is, if you buy Master Plan, which is, or I'm sorry, what decade is this? If you stream Master Plan, uh, you, that is like a B-Sides record that they put out at like, I think the end of the 90s. And oh, yeah. it, it's, they finally put Acquiesce on it and that sort of stuff. But there is a live version of them doing I Am the Walrus. And I, when I was thinking about this idea of, of figuring out the Beatles were a rock band through Oasis, I realized the other thing that made me realize that the Beatles were a rock band was that there was a radio station in this city before you lived here, Murdoch, that was yeah. called The Walrus. And when they stunted and became The Walrus, 
they were something else. And and they turned it into this alternative rock station at the height of the 90s, late 90s. And their stunt for a week was to play I Am the Walrus on repeat. A, a week. For a week. And it gives you it gives you time not have to do anything. You know, you don't have to have any Yeah, you don't have to pay anybody, nothing. You just turn it on. Uh, so I remember asking my dad, somebody was like, Yeah, that's a Beatles song. And I was like, Dad, this is not paperback writer. What is this? And he's like, Well, there was this period where they did a lot of some stuff, and I was like, Dad, <laughs> Dad, have you been holding out on me? <laughs> have you been holding out on me? And that's when I discovered Magical Mystery Tour, and my mind was truly blown. So two things, that radio station stunt. Uh, really w- made an impact on impressionable young Brian. Also, uh, Oasis turning guitars to eleven. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's true that Oasis has gone down in history not just for their music, but also for their vitriol between the brothers at the center of this band, Noel and Liam Gallagher. Now, back to Sean's letter for just a minute. He says, "I'm Team Noel because of the songwriting, but I wonder should I be Team Liam?" I think that's an interesting question. Do you immediately, are you a Noel or Liam guy? Do you have an opinion on this? Sure. I'm a, um, I'm a Noel guy. Um, but, and didn't, didn't he write Wonderwall and then he let Liam sing it? Like it wasn't, or, or it's vice versa or he, you know, it's like, it's something like that. Yeah. Like he had so to choose. There's like, a lot of song. that in their history. There's a lot of that. We're going to get into this idea what, because a lot of people don't realize yeah. that Noel actually sings a lot. Yeah, right, right. And Liam sings, um, and I think it's really fun seeing like them on stage. The stage show for me is an enormously crazy thing for people that didn't get to see Oasis, you know. And and how Liam is sitting, he's like front and center, and he's just got monitors all around him, like he's just and he's, <laughs> he's doing like the straight jacket pose. Yeah, yeah, the straight jacket, a Lemmy pose. Yeah, that's a very we we put it right together there, you and me. <laughs> the straight jacket Lemmy pose. He's, he's all the way up in the air like Lemmy. Uh, so yeah. I think it makes the most sense to actually start at the end if we're going to talk about this relationship to gain some perspective on where we're where we're going to head. August 28, 2009. Okay, so we're going just... I mean, that's not that long ago, really. 12 years ago, or 13 years ago. Uh, Oasis scheduled to perform at a music festival near Paris. And halfway through a set by the band Block Party. Shouts to Block Party. Never gotten to talk about them on the show before. Uh, their lead singer, Kele Okarike, uh, brings his manager out on stage. I, and for, I cannot imagine being Block Party in this situation. This is wild. So at some point, they flag down Kele, and the manager's like, you're going to want me out there with you. They have to go on stage and tell this festival that Oasis is not going to perform. Oh my gosh. Like, why did they do that during their set? I don't know. Like, I'm just picturing like all these people just standing up and leaving while it's like eating glass or whatever is going on. Um, Okay. So I would have told told them to kiss my ass that I'm not going to tell them. Like, why why does the band have to do that? That's a dirty job. So it's like, I've got, I've got 50 minutes, right? (laughs) Right. I've got my 50 minutes. I'm getting paid. I'm going to do my 50 minutes. Two hours later, a statement from Noel Gallagher appears on the Oasis website, and I'm going to read it. I'm not going to read it in an accent, though I want to. Uh, It is with some sadness and great relief that I quit Oasis tonight. People will write, and they will say what they like, but I simply could not go on working with Liam a day longer. 
Wow. The band's around 15 at this time. Okay, they've been around for 15 years. And, and they've been one of the biggest bands in the world. Fairly big in the U.S., giant in the U.K. Let me just give you the primer if you're just blanking on this. What's the story Morning Glory spends 10 weeks at number one on the U.K. albums chart? Becomes one of the best-selling records of all time. And it stands as the fifth best-selling album in the U.K., and the biggest selling album in the UK of the 1990s. And and for rock guys, if you're like Zeppelin, you know, a big Zepp head, um, and like Zeppelin's like 79 Nebworth was like this big historical thing for them. Like, yeah, well, Oasis played Nebworth. Um, okay. 1996, like they, two nights. They do two nights. Yeah. 125,000 people each time. Largest outdoor concerts in UK history up to that point. Yeah, and so when you piece piece together how popular Led Zeppelin was and how popular Oasis was, well, it's yeah. a pretty good it's a pretty good measuring stick to throw that venue and see how many people you can draw. That's a great point. And th- also, you, I mean, you're pointing out that they were well, fifth of all time of that decade of the in Britain or whatever. But like, if you think of the British music lineage. Right. I mean, I play this game with people where I'm like, who's your favorite American rock band? And people always are like, oh, crap, I can't think of one. Right. Because there's so many of the big dogs are British. So all those British folks. Right. And Oasis is right there fighting with them. So what led to Noel finally and officially walking away in such a dramatic manner? I love the way we're going backwards. Let's go backwards. Let's let's go all the way back to the start. Now. This is fun. Much like we discovered when talking about the Wilson sisters and Hart in a recent episode, this band that has become defined by the presence of two siblings did not have either sibling in it at the beginning. That's right. Yeah, actually a band called The Rain. They were called The Rain. Paul McGuire, which is a terrible name for a band, and that's exactly what Liam thought when they invited him in in 1991. Uh, Bassist Paul McGuigan, uh, guitarist Paul Arthurs, who will go on to be known as Bonehead. If you are an Oasis fan, you know who Bonehead is. That is literally how the guys refer to him. Uh, and drummer Tony McCarroll at the time. Uh, there's a lot. We're not going to get into this, but they kicked Tony McCarroll out as soon as they start to get famous because Tony McCarroll's not a very good drummer. At least that's according to them. And that's sort of a whole interesting side story if you want to jump down. There. I'm just telling you, if you're like an Oasis super fan and you want to talk about how Tony McCarroll gets kicked out of the band after he plays on Letterman, we're not going to talk about it tonight. But it is very interesting. Uh, interesting side note for music heads here. Have you ever heard of this band, Inspiral Carpet? Yeah, dude. All right, tell tell me what you know about Inspiral Carpets. You know, the I know I could tell you about their actual. I know nothing about them other than I've had to play them on the radio a buttload. Oh, really? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like twenty so, it's over like twenty five years ago, but yeah, dude. So put them in the same conversation as like Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, and and know that they loom large in. Oasis history for two reasons. Do you know either of the reasons that they? I'm okay. so excited to piece together this rock and roll. This is awesome. So when Liam insists on changing the name uh, of this band that he's joined, he looks over and he's like in his bedroom, I believe, and there is an Inspiral Carpets poster on the wall, and I believe that it's tour dates, and they're playing a place called 
the Oasis or something. And so he like looks over and he's like, let's call it Oasis. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to do that. That's the only time. <laughs> um, you, you tried and you failed after like yeah, 15 it was, minutes. Yeah, I know. I know. It's pretty good. I mean, that's a pretty good record. There, for- uh, no, that accent's not good. Uh, there is a lot yes. of their accents are. We're going to talk about their accents because they sort of come into play. Well, we're going to he- hear them talk in a few minutes and you'll, you'll understand. Okay. Um, the second way that Inspiral Carpets are a part of this story while Liam is joining Rain and changing their name, Noel, his older brother, is he's gotten a gig as a drum tech. Did you know that that's what Noel starts doing as he's drum teching? Do you know who know he's he drum teching for? I, I didn't know he was a drum tech. I just heard he was a roadie. So who is he a drum tech for? Inspiral Carpets. <laughs> And this is the thing they were meant to, and they're brothers. Like, why weren't they in the band together already? This is like meant so. To be. Okay, so that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. Why weren't they in a band together already? So Noel calls home one day to chat with his mom, and she tells him that Liam has been out practicing with a band, and Noel is shocked. Now you might say, "Why is Noel shocked?" Let's talk about the childhood of these two brothers. First of all, there's actually three of them. One who is not going to function in this story. Uh, the oldest brother, Paul. Then there's Noel. And then five and a half years later, Liam. Fun fact, same age difference as me and my brother. Uh, as kids, Noel is quiet and music obsessed. Classic case of a shy kid holed up in his bedroom with a guitar. Now, he will say later in interviews that this had to do with avoiding his abusive father. This was a coping mechanism. This was withdrawal. This was going away from the the drama and the sadness and the pain and pouring it into music. Classic musician backstory. Liam, on the other hand, total opposite reaction. Wild. Now, he comes along, from what I can tell, he comes along late enough, because it's five and a half years later, where he misses a lot of this drama between his parents. But his reaction to all of the craziness is to just sort of go nuts he doesn't care about music he doesn't really care about anything uh he is busy causing trouble and demanding respect where he can get it like at school now a little bit i read said kids at his school were scared of him but kids at other schools wanted to start things with him there's a literally an incident where kids from another school show up and hit liam gallagher in the head with a hammer with a hammer and he says that since that day, like he got hit with the hammer the next day he woke up and it flipped a switch in his brain and he was obsessed with music. Now, oh my, no, what? I, this I, is a thing. I don't know how much I believe that story is literal truth. It makes for great lore in this narrative. Wow. But it's also Oasis, right? I mean, they know what they're doing. Uh, it. This is important to note, though, because up to this point, music was Noel's thing. And now his little brother is singing in a band and he's just a drum tech. So <laughs> they they ask Noel to be their manager. And he says, uh-huh. no. But he comes to practice. And pretty soon they realize that while he's been sitting alone in his bedroom with a guitar for years, he's learned how to write a few songs. And they pretty quickly invite him into the band. Now, Sean pointed this out with his question. He said he's Team Noel because of the songwriting. I think you and I are both Team Noel because of the songwriting. These two brothers pretty quickly take on two distinct roles. 
and parts they play in this band. Noel is the cerebral songwriter. Liam is the gregarious, good-looking frontman. Um, have you seen Supersonic, the documentary? Um, yeah, but I, I didn't watch it in one whole setting. Um, yeah. And so, but yeah, I did watch it. So, so this is, if, if you're not familiar, this is the Matt Whitecross doc. It came out in 2016, and Whitecross is a British music video go-to guy. Um, he's done stuff with Coldplay, Take That, Oasis, obviously. Um, but this is also, this doc is made by the same team that made Amy, the Amy Winehouse doc. And this doc's going to come up a lot because it's a major source for this episode. But I will start by telling you that there is a scene like midway through where they have Noel on video talking about how much better looking Liam is than him. And it's jokey, but you can feel this undercurrent as he parades his little brother into this footage, like he's pushing him into the camera and stuff, this underlying resentment. And I think it goes both ways. As I mentioned, Liam is quick to say they wanted Nolan the band because he could write songs. And they tell this story in the doc. I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the story about Live Forever? Uh, Yeah, yeah. He he sneaks off and he writes Live Forever in like no time. And he comes back in the room and plays it for the rest of the band. And I, I think it's Bonehead or one of the other guys. It's it's not Liam. But one of the other guys in the band is like, you didn't write that. And they, they don't believe him that he wrote Live Forever because it's so good. And I think if I was going to rank Oasis songs, that might be sort of a duh choice. But I think Live Forever would be pretty high on my list. Yeah, it's um, a really great song. Sure. <clears throat> so there was a period during probably the mid to late nineties where the counting crows would play live forever into long December live. Just saying, um, <laughs> imagine how that, how good that is. It's, it's, it's as good as you think. So why, why dump that out of the set? That sounds like a perfect, they're always, they're thing. always switching stuff up. They're always switching stuff up. Um, okay. So, um, we've talked about on this show, how it's often the case that a musical pair is pitted as looks versus talent, right? This isn't a new dichotomy. But when does this rivalry between these two brothers really start? Like, is there an origin point for this beyond them just being brothers? So I went looking to find some originating anecdote, and I'm not sure there's one specific thing that sets this off. Uh, I mean, as early as like 93... There's this clip of the brothers in their practice space having a conversation about Cain and Abel, who they refer to as Abel and Cable, which is my favorite part of the documentary. Uh, <laughs> do do I need to put my preacher's kid hat on and and take you to Bible school for a second? Do you know Cain and Abel? No, I'm I'm just hoping there's other people that are just have no idea what you're talking about, just like me. But yeah, okay, sure. okay. I mean, so, that's you have to you have to go cliff notes because I'm guessing other people know what this is. Yeah, I mean, it's important for the story, and it's it's really resonates, and it leads to an amazing anecdote about Oasis. So you need to know this backstory. And is this going to inspire the lyrics for what's the story, Morning Glory? Is this what Cain and Abel's about? Uh, no, <laughs> but it does inspire a song. So anyway, okay. here we okay. go. This is biblical ground zero for the concept of sibling rivalry. So Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's boys. Ah. And the Bible story centers around each of them offering a sacrifice to God and Abel's being accepted and Cain's not being accepted. 
And this becomes a whole thing about motivations and how you approach the Lord. Like, you know, there's like lots of sermons on this idea, right? About why one brother's thing and and why not the others. And it has to do with, you know, the quality of the sacrifice. Oh, man, hours and hours and hours of YouTube videos that I'm sure you could watch if you wanted to. But all you need to know is that Abel is the righteous one, Cain is not, and then Cain is overcome with rage and jealousy and kills Abel. Okay. Thank you, sir. I I am back. To You're back. Wherever in I heard that crazy story, and yeah, I got it. Okay. You can see why this sort of uh, this story serves as a great allegory through for religious teaching. But anyway, in this clip, back to Oasis, the Oasis brothers and the band are bantering back and forth. This is before anything. This is like 94, 93, 94, maybe even earlier than that, and. They're bantering back and forth about how this story connects with how they feel about each other. And one of them says, we'll be the best band in the world because I hate my brother. And the other says, it's not hate, it's love. Now, 12 years later, on the Don't Believe the Truth album, Oasis will release a song written by Liam called, Guess God Thinks I'm Able. Let's get along. There's nothing to do. Let's go find a rainbow. I could be wrong, but what am I to do? Guess God thinks I'm able. Here's the quote from Noel regarding this song. For about three months, we all thought that song was called Guess God Thinks I'm A-B-L-E, as in able-bodied. So we're writing the track listing, and Liam goes, it's not fucking A-B-L-E, it's A-B-E-L, as in the biblical, righteous, God-backed brother. And that, my friend, is a long-simmering, hard-hitting biblical burn done by one (laughs) Gallagher brother to the other. By Liam, of all people. Gosh. Like, what a... That's crazy. But it's it's a funny, interesting thing to put on top of this band. They're very self-aware. To 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 basically go to the origin story of sibling rivalry in a rehearsal space before the band is famous or popular or really doing much to already be framing the band as a vehicle for Kane and Cable as they call him. Uh, that's absolutely nuts. Yeah. And it, it's more than I really bargained for expecting this at all. So, uh, you know, and, and they're like, is there a th- like, is he like a no show Jones? Like, did they do like, I know at least I've, I've, I've like listened to like one live show where like, there's no Liam at all. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to get into that. That happens a yeah. lot. That happens a lot. In the supersonic doc, the filmmakers are obviously trying to get the brothers to explain what started everything. And Liam tells another wild, somewhat unbelievable story just very quickly about coming home drunk one night. It sounds like maybe when they were teenagers and pissing all over Noel's stereo. Uh, But if this rivalry defines the pair way before the band, why do you think they're in a band together at all? Like why, if you're Liam, why invite Noel into the band if you guys are constantly... Bumping heads. I think this is like the mystery at the core of sibling relationships. Well, and he, it was a 
catch 22 in a way that maybe he hated him, but he needed him. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's also an, uh, a constant push and pull around wanting to show off in front of that person, right? Like wanting to show like, yes, I can be the great, I can be the biggest rock star in the world and push you behind me. And the other one saying, I can write the best songs in the world. Like they, they don't really, I mean, it is codependent, right? We just need to go ahead and put that phrase in this episode, codependency. It is yeah. dysfunctional and it is codependent. When they work, they are magic. So magical, in fact, that it's worth putting up with the parts when they don't work, at least for a while. So yeah, we're, we're really here to focus on the brothers. So we don't have to spend a ton of time on the band's ascent, but it's worth knowing that they get signed to Creation Records, which is an amazing, amazing uh, record label, which I'm sure you are very fond of. Uh, they take a gig with a band that uses the same rehearsal space or the rehearsal space next to theirs. Unbeknownst to them, a member of that band is dating Alan McGee, the guy who created creation records and i mean we're talking creation's got primal scream jesus and mary chain my bloody valentine all that and there's some drama recording what becomes definitely maybe but it finally gets released in august of 1994 and by this time oasis is already developing this reputation for partying hard and being sort of the the epitome of sex drugs and rock and roll right and, and when you start to study all of this and try to find the first defining moment of this rivalry through the lens of the band's history, all fingers point to the very first time Oasis comes to America, and specifically to September 1994, when Oasis plays the Whiskey A Go-Go in L.A. The show is brought to you in part today by Our Brains Hurt. If there is one thing that Murdoch and I love it's punk rock. You've heard us talk about it a lot recently on the show. And if you need a little more punk rock in your life, if you need another podcast to add to your listening list, uh, check out Our Brains Hurt. Ron and Matt, both dudes from the Washington, D.C. area, they started this podcast during the COVID shutdowns because they wanted to give local punk bands an outlet to continue to put things out. So they've been at it now for a couple of years, and they have had some badass guests. How about uh, Ben Weasel? Joe Queer, Richie Ramone, Guar's Sleazy P. Martini. <laughs> and that's not even to mention all the other badasses from the local scene, etc. Our Brains Hurt is your very own punk rock audio green room. Each week, Ron and Matt sitting down with a new guest, chatting about shows, talking about tours, discovering records, whatever else comes up. And you can find it anywhere that you get your favorite podcasts. Or you can head over to their website. That's Our Brains Hurt. O-U-R Brains Hurt.com. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I love talking about rock and roll history. Not as fond about talking about my immune system and my gut health. But if you get in a situation where you are having problems with those things, it becomes very, very important. So let's get you in a place where you're not having problems with those things. I say that because Athletic Greens was created by a guy who experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on this complicated supplement routine that cost him 100 bucks a day. And he said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that's when he came up with this. It costs you less than $3 a day. It's lifestyle friendly. doesn't matter if you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free like half of my house. Any of that is fine. This will still work for you, and it's going to do things to help your nervous system, your gut health, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, all that stuff. Find out. It's simple. All you have to do is head over to athleticgreens.com slash emerging and take ownership over your health and pick up a little 
daily nutritional insurance. They're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Now, back to the show. Wow. I've seen footage, uh, it's on YouTube, of them playing the wetlands, the wetlands Mm. in New York City, and I really love that show Uh, because they're young and scrappy and it sounds cool. So So what happened at the Whiskey A Go-Go? So is this a fight? Yeah, for a long time, this story's been out there, but in that Supersonic documentary, they actually have the footage of this gig, which is crazy, but... uh, Here's the basic elements. Liam insults the audience and throws his tambourine and hits Null. That's like the, the headline. But they say in the documentary, and the band members say that someone, and they do not say who, and I don't know if they know who, gives them what they think is cocaine when they get to America. What they think is. It is not cocaine. It is crystal meth. Crystal meth. Yeah, which... Is let me tell you, no experience myself personally, uh, thank goodness. But man, I uh, talked to friends who thought they were doing one thing and they were doing another, and then you know, seventy-two hours later, they're trying to figure out how to go to sleep. Uh, the great philosopher Stephen Jenkins once said that doing crystal meth will lift you up until you break. You won't stop. So that's what I hear. Um, so <laughs> great philosopher. <laughs> everyone on this tour is awake for days, including the guy putting out the set list. So they go on stage at Whiskey, and they all look at their set list, and they start playing different songs. This is in the documentary, if you want to hear and watch this train wreck happen. So Liam's like, we're playing Rock and Roll Star, and they do a little bit, and it's all in shambles, and then they start over, and it's still terrible, and then he throws his tambourine at Noel. And In this documentary, Noel will recount this by saying, he threw the tambourine at me, offbeat, I might add. (laughs) 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 Which just says everything you need to know about this rivalry. Yeah. Ah, siblings. So they're across the world on a lot of drugs, not having the success they'd hoped for. The gig goes royally rotten, and this leads to Noel disappearing from the tour. So he goes to the manager... And I would love to talk to this manager or do an episode on this manager. So they're managed, and I I say this and then I don't have her name in front of me. They're managed by a young woman at this point Mm -hmm. um, who is a badass and gets them through this tour. And she's in the documentary a little bit. But she tells the story that, that Noel comes to her and demands cash for a plane ticket and says he's going home. But she said she only had like 700 bucks and she gives it to him. He leaves without telling anyone where he's going. So this is how badass this manager is. She is like, how do we figure out where he went? So they go to the hotel front desk and they get the phone records and they start looking at the area codes and trying to figure out who he was calling. And they find this area code related to San Francisco. And they had been in San Francisco not that long ago. And they knew that Noel had met a girl in San Francisco. So they, use the phone records and they call her and they're like, listen, you don't have to tell us, but if Noel's with you, we need to know he's safe and we need him to come back. Um, but oh my gosh, 
it's, we have the phone records. <laughs> I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah, as J.G. Allen would say, famously, shove that warrant up your ass. There's no warrant, and they just went to the hotel and said, we need the phone records for Noel Gallagher, and they're like, right here. So the, the story goes that Creations, uh, Creation Records, Tim Abbott, they make the he makes the trip to Vegas, and when he's there, he persuades Noel, or he makes the trip, I guess, to San Francisco, and persuades Noel to come with him to Vegas? It's unclear. Somehow they get him to Vegas. They let him sort of chill out in Vegas. And then they reconcile him with Liam and the tour resumes in Minneapolis. And there's this quote in the documentary where someone says, quote, the new era started when it, when Noel walked back in the hotel. Because if you were not with him, you were going to go home. Now, Interesting enough. The the other part about this, that when you hear Noel talk about this, is he just wants to talk about what came from it. And what comes from it is a song called Talk Tonight. And even in the doc, he basically says, this whole situation of me getting pissed off and leaving the band, like essentially quitting the band, was worth it because we got this great song. (laughs) And, And this is just more evidence for my theory on why these guys... Go on for 15 years in this dysfunction. It's so codependent and it relies on making each other miserable. But when they make each other miserable, they make magic happen. Yeah. Uh, codependency is it's a big deal, man. You ever been in a codependent relationship? Am I getting I too personal? No, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I guess for sure. Yeah. I, I dated this girl in college and it was a little codependent. Okay. So from here, I think we just move sequentially through the band's existence to document this relationship and this disintegration that we know is coming. There's a couple of core pieces that do this well. Rolling Stone wrote one. Radio X has one. And you can find both of them in the show notes if you want to go deep. But we're just going to kind of skim them. Here we go. So Noel comes back from quitting in America. That's 1994. That makes it clear that there's tension in the band. But this can sort of be marked up to, to a lot of things, right? A new band, a new country, drugs, all those things. Um... The thing that happens next is what starts to cement the brothers as this larger-than-life rivalry officially. And that is the release of a bootleg single, which I'm very curious to know if young Mark Murdoch ever owned this bootleg single. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I did not own it. But you know what I'm talking about. Um, I do, and I did not own it. Yeah, it's 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 a bootleg single that is not music. It is instead called wibbling rivalry as it has come to be known on the bootleg circuit and of course it is on the internet now i'm just I, there's really nothing to glean from this other than this the chaos of it all so i'm just gonna play like yeah. a, a second of it so you can you can sort of appreciate it's an interview that happens at like midnight in glasgow in like april of 94 now it doesn't really make it to people until 95 as oasis starts to ascend or at the end of 94 maybe but this is evidence. So this is before definitely maybe even comes out and they have already gotten this reputation for partying hard. Like I said, doing crystal meth in LA, but they think it's cocaine. And so here you hear Liam and Noel talking to this interviewer and basically just yelling at each other. So here's a little bit of it. Already. I want you to attract her reputation for being a kind of rock and roll animal. That's the interviewer. I'm into it, I'm into it, but at the end of the day, then, I'm not, because like he says, I'm cheeky, come on. This is Liam. Go on, we get a clip off me, mum. You know what I mean? And I do. 
Yeah, Nolan interrupts him here. It's not. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reputation, right? That I like. I like, I like, I like the weight. It's bubbling up. It's reminding right. me of the roses all over again. I like that. Me. I want to get two thousand people in a nice fucking gaffy with there. I see you. Not fucking. No. Go, no, no. Yeah. I want to be there to go. Yeah. And I well, have a fucking ball. Yeah. Hang on a minute. So it starts tame like this, and then it goes on for like 14 minutes, and by the end of it, they're just insulting each other. And you also, it's it's sort of like reading train spotting. I don't know if you ever attempted that, but there's a lot of British like sort of uh, accent and cockney going on here that's very hard to understand. But the YouTube has brought to us people who have tr put a transcription of this with each brother, and you can watch it happen. And, and just listen and watch the script like a closed captioning if you want to really go that deep into this interview. This is dumb. But this like this kind of cements them into popular culture as being like sibling sibling rivalries of people that work together or people that work really closely together. So like you always think like the Everly brothers, like they weren't related, but Simon and Garfunkel, like these people that are kind of like attached with each other. But then they have this love-hate thing, and then the things that they do when they're together is magic. I, like, what would it have been like had this not happened? Would Oasis continued to this rise of fame, or was this part of it? Like, And I do think there's an interesting conversation here about, is it part and parcel to the Oasis story? Do you have to have the rivalry for the success? And I, you know, I think that takes an Oasis scholar, and I think it takes an Oasis fan to duke that out. I don't think we can do that here, but I do think it's an interesting thing when you're thinking through this narrative of like, it does become part of the story so early, especially mm, in America. Yeah. Like, I don't think in America we know them without the sibling rivalry at all. But as I said earlier, there is proof of this, hey, we're going to kill each other while we're in this band because we're Kane and Cable stuff that predates the records. So they were always aware of it. So it's always part of it. It's so weird for me because I can't identify with it, even though it's like right. super cool. Right. But I was going to ask you about sibling. this, not not having a brother. So I know you have an older sister and you guys, it's a little different because she's so much older than you. What is it? 10 years, 15 years? 15. 15. So that's, you know, it's hard to have a real rivalry when you're 15 years apart. It's more like an aunt almost or something, right? Well, it, yeah, it's like relationships different. You know? Now, I have a brother who's exactly this age difference. We definitely get along much better than Nolan Liam. We have our moments where there is like a, in a, a thing that's happening and you're like, I think this is just because we're brothers. I don't even know why we're both mad at each other as with the intensity that we are and we can't really articulate it. So I do know of that, right? But this is like to a whole other level. As this goes on, what keeps happening is Liam is sort of playing the role of this a-hole rock star and Noel is a proponent of the music and he's trying to make it about the music and he's trying to not talk about the glamour and access. This becomes even more clear in an instance that happens in the middle of 1995 during the sessions for What's the Story Morning Glory. There's this story that Liam comes back to the studio. Noel is working. Liam goes out. He comes back, brings people into the studio. And, and apparently the situation escalates pretty quickly to where Noel hits his brother over the head with a cricket bat. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. The cricket bat. The bat later gets sold at an auction. So I bring this up again to reinforce this point of, is Oasis Oasis without this? 
Like, uh, yeah, you, it's hard to say. You're literally right? selling off artifacts of this rivalry. Not the microphone, not the drumsticks, the cricket bat that one brother hit the other brother with. Yeah, because the Beatles don't have, um, they don't have any artifacts that are being auctioned where they assaulted each other or something. <laughs> no, just where right. they're posing with meat. Uh, so, oh yeah, <laughs> and that meat was not uh, sold anywhere. Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe somebody ate it. the the infamous uh, the infamous rep does not do damage to their popularity. Uh, they break through in the U.S. here finally. Wonderwall happens. 96, they do those Nebworth concerts. And after Nebworth, the band is supposed to do MTV Unplugged. Now we're going to get to something that you've already brought up, which is who's the singer in this band, right? Day of filming, Liam says he has laryngitis. So Noel agrees to sing. So did Liam wait on the bus and suck a lozenge and enjoy a spot of tea to nurse his voice back to health? Nah. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember when this happens yeah it, yeah because it it was like a it seemed like it was a critical point in the band that the band wasn't going to make it because of something but he they, did this is, right? so how many times are we going to say this as we tell this story right well this seemed like the time where they were going to break for real I mean this is this is the reoccurring thing that happens all the way through their 15 years and yeah so anyway Liam chain smokes and drinks in the balcony and yells at Noel while Noel sings their songs Right, he's there in the crowd. I can't believe you haven't already brought this up. Let's talk about the most 90s pop cultural tie-in here that I don't think we've ever gotten to talk about on the show before. Let's talk about let's talk about celebrity deathmatch. But right now, let's check back with Stacy Cornbread, who's still in the locker room with the Gallagher brothers. Stacy, how's the mood back there? Well, Johnny, as you can see, these two brothers may hate each other's guts, but there's one thing that can still bring them together, and that's the music. You're out of tune, you shaggy bum licker. Pistol! You're the one that's out of tune! Oh, yeah! Yeah! Come on, you bloody bastard! You wanna have a go at Oh, my gosh, I forgot all about Celebrity Deathmatch. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird because I watched, I watched things that were worse than Celebrity Deathmatch. Yeah, yeah. More so. so like, I watched... Celebrity fit camp, um, celebrity <laughs> rehab. Like I watched those things. So let's you know. let's for a second. I was talking about this with my daughter today because she said she had to watch uh, Plato's allegory of the cave and in school uh, played out through a creepy animation or a claymation. And she was like, "Claymation is so creepy." Mm-hmm. And I was like. Yeah, so we started talking about Celebrity Deathmatch. And I said, you know, I don't think this show works in any other medium. I think it only works because it's claymation. Because you can destroy the claymation figures, you can make them grotesque, like you, you there's this whole layer of unreality to it. But, I mean, it's a pretty mean-spirited, ridiculous thing. And do you remember this episode where Liam and Noel are the are, are battling? I did not see the Liam and Noel. No, I didn't see it. So this was not something I watched, like, obsessively although i know people loved it um but i watched other garbage so i I mean i guess we need to say if for some reason somebody just crawled out of a vault or is is young in the audience they have no idea what this is this was a a claymation show on mtv where they it was fully claymation and there were these two hosts who would show up every week and it was like you were watching a wrestling match like wwe or wwf or whatever but they had these claymation figures grotesque representations of different celebrities who were in you know, some sometimes some sort of feud or just two people who were sort of associated or maybe they weren't associated. Um, it was just funny. But it was just funny. Right. And they would 
they would have them fight, and then you would, like the punchline was always that they would sort of die a horrific death at some point, which yeah. is very nineties. This whole thing is very late nineties. So here's what happens: nineteen ninety eight. Liam and Noel's bad behavior is immortalized in claymation. And you can watch this in the show notes, of course. Basically, the joke is that they're just wasted the whole time. So their claymation figures are just stumbling. <laughs> A couple of highlights. Noel is pulling off Liam's unibrow at one point and hitting him with it. Um, oh, my gosh. Also, this is the other thing. If you've never watched the show, there's always like a culmination. Like something crazy happens at the end to put it all to bed. And the culmination in this one because they are Noel and Liam Gallagher, is that the comedian Gallagher, Gallagher? shows Wait. shows up with the sledgematic? Wait, the sledgematic? Wait, is it Gallagher <laughs> or Gallagher Two? Do we really know? Is it his brother? I, 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 I I'm pretty sure we don't have any actual idea. Um, but Gallagher, uh, Gallagher. With a, so does he? Does he give them plastic while he smushes? So is, or is he just start like smashing watermelons and you, shit? You, you can watch it all for yourself in the show oh, notes. And I've never it, seen this. This okay. is I, it is so funny because when I was uh, putting this together, I was like, surely Murdoch probably had this on VHS. This seems very much up your alley that you would have known about Gallagher showing up in the Liam Brothers Celebrity Deathmatch. But there you go. Mm-hmm. If it, It's quite the artifact if you don't know anything about Celebrity Deathmatch. There's a lot of them. They tried to bring it back several times in the 2000s, but really the core period is like 96 to 98 or 97 to 2000, something like that. And, and a lot of it's on YouTube if you want to go watch it. Yeah. All right. Right on. Well, I'm going to have to watch it for the very first time. Now, here we go. That's 98. Let's go to 2000. The guys are on a world tour. They stop in Barcelona. Drummer Alan White has hurt his arm, and so they canceled the show. So that night, the rest of the band decides to go drinking. And this is how The Guardian will report it. With the band out drinking in their downtime, singer Liam oversteps the mark with his brother Noel, the group's guitarist and chief songwriter, going much further than the fraternal brother Mickey taking an occasional outbreak of hostilities that has defined their relationship since the band was formed in 1991. In this instance, he questions the legitimacy of Anais, Noel's daughter by his former wife, Meg Matthews. Uh, Okay. Noel is on top of Liam in an instant, punching him, splitting his lip, and afterwards, Noel leaves the tour. So again, Noel leaves a tour. This is six years after the first time. The rest of the band drags themselves around Europe without him. Wow, without Noel. So if yeah. we're if we're keeping count, Noel has quit the band twice at this point in the year yeah. two thousand. And to me it's like you can tour without Liam, but you can't tour without Noel. But I'm sure you can get away with it, can't you? So here's the other thing that you know, that we keep trying to emphasize that I think is sort of lost if you didn't live through this, is that this becomes the billing for the band to the extent that when they do reconcile, they will go out on a tour with two other bands that feature brothers who do not seem to be wanting to kill each other, and they will call that tour the Brotherly Love Tour. Ah, do they go out with the Black Crows? The Black Crows and Spacehawk. Oh, and Spacehawk. I totally forgot about that tour. Spacehawk, who has the weird song about having sex with your brother. I guess I blocked that out. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, Okay, it's on Resident Alien. It's like track three. I forget what it's called. Okay. okay. Obviously, you can see that there's a pattern here. You can see that we are headed eventually to a tipping point, and that is the vi- tipping point that eventually comes in 2009 that we've talked about. But 
there's another element that gets highlighted in the documentary. And it's this idea that Liam, Liam sees himself as the singer and Noel as the songwriter. And he has a lot of insecurity when Noel keeps saying, so I've, I've mentioned this, right? And this happens a bunch in the 2000s because, like you've already said, Liam starts either not showing up or having vocal trouble. So like, October 2002, Heathen Chemistry Tour, Liam's like not lasting whole shows. They're postponing to try to make up for his issues. And this starts to happen on and off. And when it does, and you've already seen it with the American tour that Liam doesn't come on and the MTV Unplugged performance, Noel is the backup guy. And Liam feels like he can be replaced, apparently, right? So back on this 2002 tour, Liam and other members of the band are involved in a bar brawl in (laughs) Munich. And at some point, one of them kicks a German police officer. Liam loses his teeth in this incident (laughs) and like literally loses teeth. Dates are canceled. He goes to the dentist. June, 2005, Liam barges off stage in Italy during champagne supernova. And Noel says in an interview, some garbage about being able to control Liam with psychology. And there's a quote where he says, he's actually frightened to death of me. And this is played up, right? That there's some sort of psychological warfare between the two as well. And these sorts of skirmishes just keep happening. Bad behavior on or off stage by Liam, bad mouthing in the press by Noel, wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess for a lot of people, it's sort of the thing that draws them in because it is kind of like a soap. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There is uh, this element that it's unpredictable, that there's a show within the show. And in one of these cycles, the incident in 2009 that I started with takes place. This is from the Radio X piece that I mentioned. Quote, Noel later claimed that the argument was started over an ad for Liam's clothing from (laughs) Pretty Green in the uh, V Festival program. So, you know, this is all about clothing to you. This is about your clothing line, whatever. However, Noel later told Radio X, quote, I had had enough with Liam and Bonehead, and this is true. We started arguing, or Liam and Bonehead started arguing over a leather jacket. That's what happened. So Noel says it's Liam and Bonehead, not him and Liam that are arguing over the clothes. Who cares? (laughs) Whatever it was about, Liam and Noel end up in this scuffle backstage. Liam breaks one of Noel's guitars? Yeah. Yeah, just any guitarist right now just went. And Noel quits a third time. And this time it's stuck, at least for 13 years. 2009, yeah. They did that tour in 2008 with Ryan Adams. However, that worked out crazy. I can't imagine it went well. Uh, So the thing is, there was a period in rock history where you could quit and be dormant for 13 years, and that was it. But we live in a world where there is a thing called Twitter. And so the public spectacle has, has never been over. Um, you, you can imagine what a Twitter feud looks like between these two. Uh, given all that we've actually seen them do in the public eye, all the fighting, um, it's actually kind of boring. But we should mention one particular set of tweets, and those are the potato tweets. Oh, I don't know anything. Keep going. July, July 2016. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as it sounds. Liam tweets a photo of Noel with the word potato in all caps. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And then on and off for like a year, he just occasionally tweets things. 
potato. Where he refers to Noel as a potato. Yeah, I remember this. And not understanding at all what this means until just now. How messed up is the internet? Like, really? Like, I was just like, eh, Liam, potato. And just accepted it. <laughs> not knowing what the hell it means. Now I'm like, oh, that's what it is. If you want to see all the dumb stuff they do to each other on Twitter, again, these pieces in the show notes have it. Well, you know, I mean, it's... But after all this, let me ask you. Do you think we're ever going to see an Oasis reunion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I do, do too. I do too. I a hundred percent think we will. I, I totally yeah. do. I don't. They clearly can't keep away from each other. They're still no. harassing each other. They're still talking about a reunion. I mean, they've been talking about a reunion since two thousand nine. I think I, I read a thing where Liam, real recently, it sounded like he was it. He was sound like he was real positive about it. Okay, so two things I'll leave you with. There is another layer to this that we didn't get into that I think is worth saying and leaving, and you can check it out if you want to watch the Supersonic documentary. The Supersonic documentary makes a pretty strong case in the way that it presents the narrative that this is all daddy issues. And there's particularly an instance that is recalled near the end around, at one point, the the boy's dad showing up once they are famous and sort of encountering them in public and then turning on them in, in the press and saying that they won't have anything to do with them and that they're being insulting to their own father and all this stuff. And, and they talk about it and they talk about how painful it is and how even in this moment, like I think the brothers talk about pulling each other off, like making sure that I think it's maybe Liam says like, I I knew I had to keep Noel away from dad. Like there is like still this loyalty to each other that, you know, rears its head when this mutual thing that they are upset with shows up and you see that loyalty come out. It's really interesting. Again, it's storytelling. It's, it's a documentary. I, you know, all of these things have, have gradations of truth, but I, I think it's an interesting thing to keep in mind that these are some damaged kids who, yeah. who, who, because of the dynamic continue to be damaged kids. Both, you know, because of the baggage that they have and because of the fact that they've never really been forced to deal with the baggage, given what they've encountered when they were 20 and 19 and 25 or whatever that age difference is, right? I mean, they were young when this started happening to them. And now they're in their 50s. So they've just never dealt with it. And as solo artists, they've, I'd say they've put out very, very satisfactory work. It's very good. I like High Flying Bird stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't even mind Liam's work. I don't like it as much because I'm team Noel, but I, I think that Liam's stuff is okay too. So after digging through all this, I will say Noel doesn't come out looking great. Like, you know, it's easy to take his side. Liam is definitely the one who's more flamboyantly ugly, but Noel knows what he's doing in a lot of these cases. And he knows how to play Liam like a piano. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, but this is how dysfunctional codependent relationships are, right? Here's the very last thing, and and this is just food for thought. So, I coincidentally, having nothing to do with the research for this, I heard an interview with a British musician recently where he was talking about how certain bands fare in America versus Britain. And he said that when he first came and started touring in America, he was blown away, and this was in the 2000s when he started touring, early 2000s, he was blown away that Americans have a deep held respect for Oasis because to quote him, he said to the music minded people in Britain, Oasis is the equivalent of how Americans view Nickelback. 
I'd never heard that before. Again, that is one person in an interview, but I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, man, I never heard that. Because he's right. I think Americans love on Oasis. Yeah. I mean, we just, you know, I, I think there's real affection in, even in this conversation. As we know that they're dysfunctional, they may sort of be playing playing us, right? There's a soap opera, like all these elements, and we're not, we, we n- n- neither of us have ever been like, you know, most of their albums suck, which you could say, like, a couple of them are really good, but but no, we, we haven't done that. We haven't been crapping on the output at all. No, no, no. Which is interesting. Yeah. And in fact, I'm going to send you, uh, Brian, if I can, can I send you a, sh- uh, a show to put in the show notes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want- send me what you got. And, and it's it's just something for everybody listening because it's like, it's one of those things that's just stunning to see because they're so young and they're oh, yeah. so good. Oh, yeah. And but- it's like, it's completely different than what you, you, in your head, if I said Oasis, and you see them, you see that big stage, like yeah. not big stage, and they don't look, you know, it's very different. So I'll send that to you just so you can have it so everybody can share that that show from 94 so they can see it. Um, before, I think, before the Whiskey A Go-Go show. Um, and and let, let me also ask you, if you're listening to this, if you have a, if you have a sibling, when you get done, I just want you to, I just want you to pull out your phone. I just want you to text that sibling and just say, I love you. Just say, listen, I was, I was just listening to an hour-long deep dive on the dysfunction of the Gallagher brothers, and it made me think that even though you sort of suck as a human, you're not near as bad as those two. So <laughs> I love you. Something like that. You know, you could take artistic license. Uh, Murdoch, uh, how do people get involved in the show if they want to send us a question? Oh, yes. It's we are the story guys at gmail.com. We love getting uh, mail from you just like we did for this show. And that's how we ended up uh, writing this. So make sure and send us an email and go wherever you listen to our podcast and make sure and leave a review if you can. Tell your friends about us. And when someone's like, I need to find a new podcast to listen to, and they're like, I really want to hear something about serial killers. Be like, no, nah, man, you need to hear stuff about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and innuendo. <laughs> Like just just shut that whole serial killer murder mystery shit down Do it. and tell them about Do about it. Brian and I talking about rock and roll bedtimes. Do it. And until next time, what else should they do? Keep telling rock and roll stories. Love on your brother. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.